The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Psalms, Psalm 100. Please turn there now. Again, Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, Park Church. Um, I hope you're well. Uh, My name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors here at Park Church. Uh, Before we get into this psalm, I want to be honest again. I really struggled this week uh, with whether or not to uh, to preach this particular psalm. Uh, I've been looking forward to getting back into the Psalms. We preach the Psalms every summer. We take time to cover roughly 10-ish Psalms. We've been working our way through the Psalms for years now. And, uh, and I've been looking forward to it because of the way that the Psalms meet us in the emotional complexities of life. Uh, this summer, we're, we're going to look at a, a lot of really powerful Psalms, Psalms where God, we see God's heart for justice and righteousness in his world. We see Psalms where there are people afflicted that are crying out to God in the midst of um, pain and, and challenges that are um, hard to even express. Um, but today, Psalm 100, uh, we're looking at a psalm that's marked by thanksgiving and joy. Uh, and just to be honest with you, that's just not how I feel right now. Uh, I feel a lot of dissonance with the content of this psalm. The psalm's, again, marked by these kind of expressions of joy and thanksgiving. And what I'm feeling mostly uh, right now is sadness. I feel burdened. I feel frustrated. I feel angry. And so as I'm kind of been studying this psalm, I feel like my own emotions are just missing with some of the content. And so I've been kind of like slowing down a little bit um, just to try to ask God, what does he, what does he want us to do today? Uh, does, does he want us to, to look at something different? And, and I felt like he actually wants us to look at Psalm 100. Now, now the difficulty is it's really important for us to understand the importance of and the goodness and the rightness of feeling all of these, these emotions of sadness or confusion or anger or burden. I'm sad about the racism that's in our country and the way it continues to hurt people and has been hurting people for a long, long time. I reread the I Have a Dream speech uh, this week and just hearing the way that Dr. King's words still resonate with this moment when those words were spoken 57 years ago. And just feeling angry about that, sad about that, convicted by that. I feel burdened about the injustice. I feel feel aching about the deep, deep divisions that exist in our country and the difficulty of having what it feels like could be and should be productive conversations. Um, I feel overwhelmed at times thinking about what's happening with the coronavirus and how it's still taking thousands and thousands of lives every day feel sad about the economic impact, the mental health impact, the, the impact on our cities and families. I just feel sad. And, uh, and I think I feel all these things and they're just mounting and I feel 
tired. And I can't imagine what, what maybe you feel in the ways that these things are pressing on you in different ways. And so the question we have to ask is while we're feel, feeling sorrow, is sorrow and joy, are these mutually exclusive emotions? Are they mutually exclusive? To feel joy doesn't mean that we have to tuck away sorrow, tuck away grief, tuck away pain. And I think what this psalm shows us and what God's word teaches us about joy is that the type of joy that God calls us into is deeper and it can coexist with the feelings of sorrow and grief and pain and anger and sadness because it's, in, it's rooted in something a lot deeper. And so, so my hope in looking at, at Psalm 100 today isn't to tuck away sad and painful emotions or frustration or anger or grief or despair that you might be feeling, but saying in the midst of those feelings, in the midst of, of the kind of complexity of our emotional space right now, um, what, what does it mean that God's calling us into a deeper kind of joy that can actually root us as we experience all of those other really appropriate emotions? And so we're going to need God's help uh, to, to kind of lead us. I think we're coming into this moment in all sorts of different spaces. And so I want to pray that God would shepherd us by his grace today. So would you join me as we calm, calm our hearts before the shepherd of our souls? Let's pray. Um, Jesus, we... We need you right now. Uh, thank you for being a good shepherd who cares about us in our hurting, and you care about us in our wandering. Um, you care about us in our pain. You care about us in our joy. You care to guide us and shepherd us and love us and tend to us and to heal us. And so I pray that you would do that today through your word, that you would show yourself to be the good shepherd. And would you tend to and care for your flock today? By the power of your Holy Spirit, in Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, I'm going to dive right into this psalm because I want to take us into attention. So we're in Psalm 100, uh, and I think that the, at the heart of this psalm is this, is this call to actually express a deeper kind of joy in God, to express a, a deeper kind of joy in God. And I want us to see just the, the verses that kind of permeate this whole psalm flip into it, um, that permeate this whole psalm and, and just feel sort of uh, what, what, again, to me feels like some emotional dissonance with some of the content. This is Psalm 100. Uh, it is a psalm for giving thanks. It's a thanksgiving psalm, and it says this, make a joyful no noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Skip down to verse four. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. And there's so many songs that are written about this that are kind of take these words and put them to really peppy music. But you, you feel this sort of like enthusiasm and in the, in the invitation or even the context is this is a psalm that would be used for the people of Israel as they're coming into God's presence, into the temple to offer sacrifices of thanksgiving, uh, to give, give God thanks for who he is and for what he's done in their life. And, and as I read this, again, I'm, I'm hearing these kind of like emotive responses, this sort of expressiveness of singing and shouting and crying out to God with thanksgiving. And in my heart, I'm feeling pain. I'm feeling sadness. I'm feeling frustration. And so how do we make sense of this? I think it's so important to actually understand the context of this psalm itself. Um, the psalm was written, most scholars think it's, it's dating to what we call the post-exilic period, which means the time in the history of Israel when they had been 
destroyed by the world superpower of Babylon. They had been taken into exile for 70 years. Uh, Their temple had been destroyed. Their city had been destroyed. Jerusalem had been absolutely decimated. And then they had been released from exile by Cyrus and kind of brought back into their land, but they're in this time post-exilic after the exile and they're still under the thumb of the Persian Empire. And they would stay under the thumb of world superpowers for generation after generation after generation from the Persians to the Greeks to the Romans in the time of Jesus. And so for this psalm to be written in a time where they are experiencing oppression, they have experienced the depth of pain that is hard for so many of us to imagine as so, so many of the leaders and the people in their community had been killed, as, as people had been exiled and taken away from their homes and as they had come back into this land, their temple was in ruins and their city was in ruins and they're just looking all around them at the signs of destruction and loss and devastation. And so as we even think about this cultural moment for us in this time, as we look around and we feel the realities of injustice and oppression and these signposts of that reality that have been hurting people for generations, in particular the black community and other non-white communities in this country, thinking about the pain that people have experienced and, and paying attention to that. It's in front of our eyes. As you think about the division and the destruction, you think about the aching that's being expressed in our cities around the nation. You think about the devastation that this coronavirus is causing across the globe and the economic pain and the job loss. You see these signs of destruction and devastation all around us. And it's exactly in that kind of context that we get Psalm 100, a call to come before God's presence with thanksgiving, to enter into his presence with praise. Now, what, what I know is that a biblical understanding of praise isn't a sidestepping of grief. It's not a sidestepping of lament. The Bible over and over and over is very, very honest about those realities, about grief and lament and the vital importance of slowing down to feel. Uh, The whole Psalms are affirming the, the real experience of human emotions and the goodness that the natural expression of all sorts of emotions across the spectrum. And so a call to joy isn't a call to sidestep those emotions. It's not. So we have to ask this question is, how, how could it work for joy and sorrow or sadness? How could they work together? Um, as soon as I began to think about that tension, the, the tension between joy and sadness, I couldn't help but think of the movie Inside Out because it's exactly about the tension between joy and sadness. Um, If you're not familiar with the movie, you should watch it. It's powerful. One of those ones that you weep at. If you don't weep at it, you probably have something emotionally wrong with you. You should go see a counselor um, and work on that. It is, it's a a deep, a deep emotional, emotional story of a little girl named Riley who is moving away with her family from Minnesota to San Francisco. And you can decide for yourself about how it would feel to move from Minnesota to San Francisco, but for Riley's experience, this was a really sad and painful thing. Uh, She was, up to this point in her story, a very joyful person, a very happy person, and her kind of like approached life with a sort of free-spirited, creative, happy-go-lucky, playful spirit, this kind of, this competitiveness and this fire. And as she's adjusting to life in San Francisco, and she's realizing that everything is different, her friends are gone, and and her familiar places to eat are gone, and and the house is different, and her parents are busy settling in. She's beginning to feel sadness, and she doesn't know what to do with it. 
And so in, in the story, it personifies these, these emotions of joy and sadness and other emotions with these characters. And the whole story is about joy and sadness, these personified characters trying to kind of like make their space in her life as sadness kind of like fights to make its way in and joy fights to push sadness out as if these were mutually exclusive, as if our experience as human beings should be predominantly joyful and that there's no room to be honest about sad, painful experiences and sorrows. And, and the reality is for most of us in our own story, for many of us, we struggle with the same thing. Sad feelings are oftentimes uncomfortable and unpleasant. Lingering and grief and pain can make you feel um, all sorts of things that, that lead you into harder places of self, um, of just like introspection and evaluation and wrestling through a lot of different questions. And so we struggle. And what we tend to think as human beings is that we have to kind of suppress those sad feelings to be a happy person. And then we apply that to Christianity. And so many Christians begin to think that the whole kind of like goal of being a Christian is to be happy. Like because of Jesus, we should be kind of like happy, upbeat, optimistic people. And so we kind of take that basic psychological tension that is a normal part of a human being that kind of maturing emotionally, this learning how to bring joy and sadness together and we bring these kind of spiritual theological components to it. We think being sad or angry is sinful and it's not. We think it's wrong. It might feel unpleasant, but these are actually good human emotions that God himself feels, that Jesus felt. And so as we wrestle with this, our tendency is to try to find ways to push those feelings away because we have to hold on to joy at the center. And so we use theology. We say things like, because God is sovereign, we shouldn't be sad about what happened to us or sad about the, the parts of our own story that have been negative and hurtful or, or sad about the history of our nation and the ways it's hurt people. We kind of chalk it up to God's sovereignty as a way to sidestep real deep pain and grief that's appropriate and healthy. Or, or we take the, the kind of the concept of, of these things being sinful and we, we find ways to, to say, well, because God loves me and, and because, because he's with me, then, then I shouldn't feel these things. And so we push away our anxieties and our fears and we begin to stuff ourselves emotionally and it begins to bleed out of us in really unhealthy ways. And this is a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I found it fantastic. Many of you have been working through Emotionally Healthy Day by Day, which is devotional by Pete Scazzaro. And I want to read this. This is what he says, even in reference to his own story. Um, and he says this, it says, as I said in the previous chapter, most Christians do not think they have permission to consider their feelings, to name them or express them openly. This applies especially to the more difficult feelings of fear, sadness, and anger. It was Anger and depression, however, that finally got me to stop and admit something was desperately wrong. I could no longer stuff them. I began leaking all over my relationships at work and at home. And I felt that. As I stuffed my sadness and my pain and the, and the burdens of life began to weigh, I start feeling irritable and frustrated. And, and that kind of, that emotional unhealth begins to leak, begins to leak. And he says this, when we deny our pain, losses, and feelings year after year, we become less and less human. We transform slowly into empty shells with smiley faces painted on them. Sad to say, that is the fruit of much of our discipleship in our churches. But when I began to allow myself to feel a wider range of emotions, including sadness, depression, fear, and anger, 
a revolution in my spirituality was unleashed. That when you're honest about your pain, you actually begin to experience something really powerful and transformative. And that's what happens even in the story of Inside Out. As Riley begins to kind of wrestle with her joy and her sadness, and as joy and sadness sort of like work through this, this battle of learning to kind of like appreciate each other and the space that they have in the human experience, by the end of the story, there's this really powerful scene of, of Riley kind of reflecting on some really painful experiences and finally letting herself feel the pain and remember the pain and reflect on the pain and linger, linger on the pain. And as she does, she begins to see the way that she was able to experience connection with her parents and with friends, that she experienced love and connection and friendship and empathy from other people in the midst of the pain. And then you see this sort of like beautiful kind of like mingling of joy and sorrow and the way it gave her a deeper understanding, a deeper understanding of a type of joy that's not contingent on our circumstances. And that's what we're seeing in this psalm is we're being called into a joy that is not contingent on our circumstances. It's not to stuff away the sorrow, but it's a joy that can be mingled with sorrow, that can be mingled with it. I think about the Apostle Paul reflecting on all these really painful experiences he's had in his letter, his second letter to the Corinthians. And he talks about how he was sorrowful and always rejoicing. Sorrowful, but always rejoicing. He's suffered all of these intense, intense situations and difficulties and hardships, and he's feeling the weight of it, and it's sad. The brokenness is sad, the animosity that he's experienced, the division within his own community, the divisions in the world, the oppression from the Roman Empire, all of it left him sorrowful, and yet he was holding on to joy in the midst of it. Later to the Philippians, uh, he would talk from this position. He's in prison, awaiting a potential execution, and he's calling them. He says, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. You kind of get this sense of like, really, Paul, in prison, awaiting potential execution? So he kind of like follows up. He says, again, I'll say, rejoice. And that call, again, is not a call to sidestep lament and grief and process pain. It's a call in the midst of those things to experiencing something deeper. So the question we have to ask is, where does that deeper sense of joy come from? Where does it come from? If it's not connected to our situations, if we can actually be honest about the pain and the sorrow and the sadness of our situation, the brokenness of the world, the brokenness of this moment, the brokenness of racism and oppression and coronavirus and economic struggles and emotional pain and tensions in your home and struggles with your children and just kind of like the ongoing difficulties of life, disconnected even from those experiences, the normal stuff that we're facing all the time. If we're honest about the pain of those situations, where does joy come from? And this psalm takes us right into the middle of it. What the psalm says is that joy comes when we understand the presence of the good shepherd and his faithful love for us. We actually understand in the midst of the pain, in the valley, in the darkness, the presence of the good shepherd and his love for us. And it's these kind of two different sections in the psalm. First in verse three, it's rooting this call to joy with this. Know that the Lord, this is Yahweh, the personal covenantal name of God. Know that Yahweh, he is God. It's he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Look down at verse five. It says, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever in his faithfulness to all generations. 
If you're asking, where, where do you experience joy in the midst of pain? And it's to recognize that there is a God who made you, who, who looks down on us as his people and has compassion on us, like a shepherd looking over a, a flock of sheep that's harassed and helpless and, and they need this shepherd. And the shepherd moved towards us in the person of Jesus and entered into the brokenness. We are his. We are his people. And in this desire to show his people his love and his healing presence and his comfort, he moves towards us to gather together scattered sheep and to bring us into his family, into his flock, into his fold. We are the sheep of his pasture. He is caring for us and walking with us in the midst of our journey. And I think this concept of journey has been so powerful for me. That the Christian life isn't become a Christian and learn theology, become a Christian and try to become a good person, become a Christian and do good things. It's begin to follow Jesus, trust in his love, his forgiveness, trust in his grace and trust in his care. And as we follow him through the, the road of life, down the road, with all of its twists and its turns and its valleys and its setbacks and all of our failures and all of our regrets and all of our doubts and all of our wandering, to know that there's a shepherd there caring for you, loving you, working in your life, tending to you, restoring you, seeking after you, helping you. He's there to feed you. He's there to protect you. There's a shepherd that's there in the kind of peaks and the valleys of life. And it's the faithful presence of that good shepherd that begins to give you, even in those dark moments, a deep sense of joy. I think for for me personally, uh, it was uh, about a year and a half ago now. I was just in a really dark spot. I've talked about this multiple times. And a part of the difficulty of where I was emotionally is this expectation I had that if I work hard enough, if I'm driven enough and, and work hard enough and, and kind, of, kind of use whatever resources God's given me to try to like hold things together and, and make everything better. I want my family to be good. I want our church to be good. And I want my neighborhood to be good. And if I can like work hard enough, then, then I should be able to get everything to a place where everything feels good. And then I would be happy. Once everything is good, then I would be happy. And I just kept feeling my, my difficulty and my failure to make life what I wanted life to be. And that always felt like this deep sense of regret, this deep sense of failure that left me feeling discouraged and depressed and anxious and overwhelmed and weary, so weary. And in that place, I was emotionally breaking down. Just this sense of Jesus reminding me that as he leads me on the, on the kind of contours of life. It's not this path that's going to get like better and better and better as time goes. There are twists and turns. There are valleys and setbacks. There's pain and grief and loss. There are beautiful things and incredibly like sweet experiences of love and wonderful things that happen. But all of that, like in the midst of that journey, he's there. He's always there. He's with you right now. And he loves you. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithful, unconditional, covenantal love, his, his, his patience and his mercy and his kindness and his slowness. He's not getting irritated and disappointed in your wandering and in your doubts and when you're crying out, when you're frustrated, when you're apathetic and when you're depressed. He's not frustrated. He's right there. A good shepherd mending, binding, healing, pulling you back, convicting, leading, feeding, protecting, maturing, growing, strengthening, always right there. So where does this joy come from? It comes from recognizing the presence of the good shepherd right now in this hard moment, 
however you're experiencing it, the good shepherd sees you and he knows you and he loves you. And the good shepherd loves you so much that he laid down his life for you. He sacrificed his life. He took the role of a sheep and like a sheep who before his shears was silent, he didn't open his mouth. He walked right into the slaughterhouse to take the penalty of our sin, of our brokenness and to take it upon himself that he is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this is a savior. It is a shepherd who is a man of sorrows and he's acquainted with grief. It's like grief had become a good friend to him because he knew sorrow. He knew pain. He knew what it meant to weep. He knew what it meant to struggle. He knew what it meant to suffer. He knew what it meant to be falsely accused. He knew what it meant to be oppressed. He knew what it meant to be sad. He knew what it meant to be betrayed and to feel abandoned and to feel left alone from all of his friends. He knew all of that. He knew all of that. And so he can sympathize with you. He can sympathize with you. He empathizes with you in your pain and he loves you. And he took the weight of this brokenness upon himself in order to heal, in order to restore, in order to give hope, in order to reconcile, in order to mend and to bind and to bring all things to this beautiful resolution of harmony and hope. But it's on the path now, it's on the path right now in the pain that he's with you and he's for you and he will never, ever leave you or forsake you. So for us to slow down, to know that he's with us, what does it mean in that moment in this moment, to actually enter into his presence. We, we don't have a temple in Jerusalem we have to go to. Jesus has said he's giving us his Holy Spirit that we become the temple, the, the very dwelling place of God. God is with us. He is in us. Jesus said he will be with us to the end of the age. And so what we are called to do is to slow down, to sort of like build a sanctuary in time, like to create spaces in our life, to, to pause and to be attentive to the presence of God, to be attentive to the presence of the good shepherd right now who wants to guide you and give you wisdom and comfort you in your pain and, and affirm your hunger for justice and, and, bend and, and kind of like mend that areas of brokenness, bring conviction where you need to be convicted. He's with you now. And so, so I wanna encourage you to create space in your life to slow down. Like I said, to, to build like a sanctuary, a sacred space of time that in your day, that you get out your calendar and you build a sanctuary in your day. Build a little sanctuary in your day. This is a sacred space and maybe sacred spaces throughout the day. And even this summer, we're gonna be talking about these practices of praying through the Psalms that we're, we're working through every day. So this week could be park on Psalm 100 every day and create a sacred space of time in the middle of your day to reflect on the character of God right in the middle of, the, of whatever you're experiencing. And as you do that, to watch the way God meets you and loves you and helps you to actually thank him for his faithfulness and his care and his presence, to enter that space with a sense of joy, not because life is awesome, but because God is with you and he's for you and he loves you. Let's pray. Um, Jesus, we pray that you would indeed help us. Um, right now, that this would be a sacred space in time that your spirit would right now remind every single person who's listening to this that you see them and you know them and you love them. Friend, Jesus is with you and he sees you. He sees you. He sees your experience. He sees your story. He sees your pain. He sees your confusion. He sees your... 
your, your frustration. He sees your joy. He sees your desires. And he knows you. And he loves you. So God, with that reality, give us joy even in the midst of our sorrow. In Christ's name we pray, amen.